Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. This is verses 105 through 112 of Psalm 119, verses 97 to 120 of which are the psalms appointed for today, Wednesday, November the 10th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate you being with me. <clears throat> We're going to look today at Nehemiah 7, 73 through 8, 3, and then verses 15 to 18, but I'm going to have to see why. We're skipping verse 4. Then we're in Revelation 18, verses 21 to 24, and Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 29 to 39. One of the things that I want to point out is you, you may not ordinarily look at this, so I'm going to point it out now so, <laughs> so you'll know why it's there. I'm going to post a link over in the description box, and those that link is to... Um, a teaching done by a guy that I've listened to for many years now, Rabbi David Foreman, who has a website called Aleph Beta, and he does a lot of Old Testament commentary. The the reason that he started his um, uh, ministry was because what he realized was is that a lot of Jewish people knew um, Midrash, and they knew other things, but they didn't know actually the Torah. And so he began to do Torah teaching, and he does a great job and a fantastic volume of teaching as well. Highly recommend alephbeta.org, A-L-E-P-H-B-E-T-A.org. Um, I've been a subscriber there for a long time now, and I highly recommend it. it it's um, great work. So I highly recommend that you, that you listen to to any of that teaching. You might have to pay for a subscription, but, but I'll tell you it's worth it. So I'm going to post a link to that because there's a connection. All these names of these people, these men who were helping Ezra in, in helping the people understand the law, there's names all, we, all mean something. This is what we're what we're looking at is the f- the only actual uh, recounting of a Rosh Hashanah service in the entire Bible. And so they're, they're keeping Rosh Hashanah, and we know that because of the timing of all this, the timing of when it happens. You know, we want to think that, that, it, that Rosh Hashanah means head of the year. Um, and so what, we're, um, what we tend to believe is that's the Jewish New Year. Well, kind of, no, not really. It's in the seventh month, <laughs> so it's not really. But it is, at some level, also, it's the head of the year. So it's, it's both those things at the same time, but it, it is a Jewish New Year, but it's not really. Um, it's the day of judgment that, that's coming, and so you read the law, but, but it, you celebrate at the same time. You're celebrating God's mercy. So that's where we are in the, in the Jewish year as far as this passage from Nehemiah is concerned. It's, it's a celebration of Rosh Hashanah, and it's a time when we should feel sorry for our sins, when we should make atonement for our sins in the ten days 
uh, following Rosh Hashanah, which are called the days of all leading up to Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement. And so that that's where we are is in this period of time. And the people are first for the first time understanding the law because it seems like they've completely forgotten what's there. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns and all the people gathered as one man into the square in Jerusalem before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. He, he, he was acting as a scribe before with respect to the law, and now he's res- acting with respect to the law as a priest when he brings that out to the people, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. So men and women and all who could understand what they heard. All who understand what they could heard would have been uh, children at some level, because that's the whole point of um, the bar mitzvah. It's the proof that they can understand the word of God. So that's what they do. They come out and read a portion of the law to prove that they can understand. So that's who this all who could understand are. <clears throat> and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. So he's up on a platform here, and he opened it as all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Yamin, Akub, Shebethai, Hodiah, Messiah, Messiah, sorry, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So they're giving explanation as the word of the Lord is written because there, there's been a loss of understanding. I want you to understand those, all those names in there that end with I-A-H, that is Yah. So that, that's going to say that their name is somehow connected with God, whether it's God remembers or God hears or whatever. And so all those that, end, and whenever you see a name that ends in I-A-H, know that that's where that's coming from. So they read from the book, of the, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So they're, they're, they're making explanatory comments while the law is being read because the people don't know. And Nehemiah, who was governor and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Because the people were weeping over their sins as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the food, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our to the our Lord. And don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's an odd thing to feel both those at the same time. But whenever, as Christians, we should rejoice when we're being convicted of sin, because it proves the Holy Spirit is active in our lives, and that our deliverance is nigh. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, don't be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So the response to this is is twofold, right? It's repentance, but it's also rejoicing because what they hear is about the graciousness and the mercy of God. 
On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the, stri- the scribe in order to study the words of the law. So after the first day, the, the, they've delegated that a little bit higher up. The heads of the fathers' houses of all the people are the ones who are gathering here, and they found it written in the law, the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, uh, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it's written. So the people went out and bought them, brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in the courts, and in the courts of the house of God, in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. That's a very, very long time to go without celebrating the Feast of Shavuot, the Feast of Booths. And there was a great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. It's it's a powerful thing to see the recovery of the word of God among the people of God when the Spirit of God attends and convicts people of sin and of his righteousness and his goodness. And so that's what's happening here, is, is that they're celebrating Rosh Hashanah by, by in, in exactly the right way, by, by confessing and repenting of their sins and rejoicing in the gracious goodness of God to forgive those sins. And so the, the point of Rosh Hashanah and the days following, those days of awe, are to make atonement for the sins that, that you've created during the last year, which is to, go, to confess those sins to God, to repent of them, and to make um, restitution wherever that's possible, and to also give gifts, as you see here, for those who don't have anything prepared, is to do acts of charity. And that is because the day of judgment comes when, when the books for the year are written, is Rosh Hashanah, and when the books of the year are closed, in other words, the judgment of God will be finalized and sealed on the Day of Atonement. And so you do whatever you can during that year to change God's uh, decision about your year. So that's repentance, confession, restitution, acts of charity, all those kinds of things, in order that you might be sealed for a good year on Yom Kippur. And so that they're celebrating it exactly the way they're intended to celebrate it. In the gospel lesson, Jesus goes up from there, which is Tyre and Sidon, and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up to the mountain and sat down there, and then great crowds came, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, and the mute, and many others. And they put him at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Well, good. They recognized exactly who was doing the healing here. They weren't like the Pharisees who were ascribing these healings and, and other miracles to Beelzebub. So Jesus called the disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. You would think that when he said that, that, that their response would have been, oh, yeah, yeah, we've done this before. I remember not too long ago. We were in a similar kind of a place out here near this same place where we are right now. And Jesus fed 5,000 people. So the disciples responded, though, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? I mean, you can see Jesus face palming right there, right? I mean, he just buries his head in his hands and looks at him like, oh, my gosh, how did you forget this so quickly? So instead, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. Do y'all remember this yet? Do you 
still, you know, um, and directing the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And after sending them away, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. So it's this same situation where Jesus is there with these people who have come. They brought their people to him, and he's taught them. They brought all the sick and everything else, and he's healed them. And now he has compassion on them because they were there for the right reasons, and they glorified God at the end of this work that he's done. So they attributed the work of God to God. They got it right, and so Jesus had compassion on them. In the Revelation passage, remember what we've seen is the destruction of Babylon in the morning of those who had made their fortunes by trading there and with Babylon, and they mourn the loss because that's the most important thing in the world, right? The kingdom of earth, the system of the world is that very thing. It's mammon. It's the worship of mammon rather than the worship of God. And so it's, it's the world system, and the world system is overthrown with the downfall of Babylon. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. So judgment has been pronounced against Babylon. I've been listening to a guy lately, Michael Heiser. I think he's an excellent teacher. He's an Old Testament uh, language scholar who works for Logos Biblical Software, and and I've listened to a great deal of his teaching lately. And one of the things that kind of comes to the fore in that is this idea of the watchers who are in Enoch, but they're also the Nephilim, which are listed, or not listed, but that are mentioned in Genesis 6. And one of the things that the watchers who came down to earth, the ones who were mentioned in Enoch, and, I, and I'm not being extra biblical completely here because these are also ones who are mentioned in First uh, Peter as well as in Jude. So they are taking these things seriously. And one of the things that the book of Enoch says about these watchers, not only did they come down and marry the daughters of men, but they also taught them things that they were not supposed to teach. There's, there's knowledge that, that angels have that has not been given to humans in this period of history. It doesn't mean that these are things we won't know in eternity, but you can't give this knowledge to sinful humanity because it can all be misappropriated and misused. It waits for the resurrection of the dead and the glorification of these bodies for that knowledge and information to have been gotten. There would have been the possibility of this knowledge had there not been sin in the world. And so that's the point of all that. So the watchers come down and they give that information. And so when it says the all nations were deceived by your sorcery, it says that your merchants were the great ones of the earth and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. That's what it's talking about. It's this alchemy that 
angels taught to human beings. And so when you see this, your merchants were the great ones of the earth. The great ones of the earth refers back to that uh, race of people that we see in, in different places in the Old Testament. And then it says, all nations were deceived by your sorcery, and that's the alchemy that's been taught by the angels to these great ones of the earth. And so that judgment that comes on Babylon is the same judgment that comes and descends on Babel itself. Those things are root words for the same thing. And so it's that judgment, but it's the judgment that people have come to the one place, to the Tower of Babel, to the place of Babylon, where all the witchcraft and the sorcery is happening, and then God has to destroy that same world's system that's been set up. And so this Babylon and Babel from Genesis 10 are similar in judgment and similar in what they are. And we need to be aware that that we're serving in God's kingdom, not the kingdom of the world. We need not be enticed, and it's, it's not Difficult to see why we would be enticed by that, as angels were enticed by the sons uh, or the the daughters of men. So then we're enticed by this same thing, and so it's the same world system that's that's put into place by these demons or fallen angels or whatever you want to call them. But but it's that, and we need to be aware of that as Christians. We need to be hyper vigilant, and we be, need to be dedicated to knowing God's ways and doing those things.